right, Trustee Friedman, we're ready to go when you are. All right, we will now commence our meeting. Please call the roll. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Blue. Uh, she's not here, sorry. Trustee Chapman. Here. Trustee Friedman. Here. Trustee Splendorio. Here. We have a quorum, thank you. All right, thanks everybody for being so prompt. Uh, first item is public comment on anything not on the agenda. Do we have any public comment? Nobody's reached out to me. All right, let's move on to the consent agenda, which is the minutes of November 17th. Motion to approve. Second. We have a second? Second. Uh, moved and seconded. Uh, all in favor signify by saying, oh, do we have to do a roll call? No. Yeah, let's do a roll call. Trustee, right. yeah, Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Uh, I wasn't at the meeting, so I'm going to uh, abstain. Okay, Trustee Splendorio. Aye. The motion does pass. Thank you. All right. Now we move on to discussion of internal audit compliance reporting summary. And Akimi. Ren, our interim VP for compliance and internal audit, is going to run the show. Take it away, Akimi. I hope I pronounced that right. It's Akemi. Akemi, thank you. Right. So let me show my screen. So just a second. Can everybody see? Yeah, it's coming through nicely. Okay. So, <clears throat> um, this one, let me go down here. So, the first uh, I'd like to talk about is that we had two. Um, privacy breach that was in the second quarter. And one uh, was the October 4th one, which is unauthorized access to the patient's record. So this is essentially a snooping incident and this employee was terminated because of it. So the October 29th um, was an authorized disclosure of the patient's uh, test results. And so, this was a traveler nurse who did not know that this patient had a list in the medical record as to who um, would be allowed to receive these um, results. And so the, um, there was education to this uh, traveler's nurse as well as to the other nurses. And actually the our employee nurses did know um, regarding the steps when um, a patient lists who they um, would like to receive uh, their uh, information about the conditions or the tests. Have any questions on this? Okay, I'm going to turn it over to EJOS, who's going to talk about uh, information uh, security. So, EJOS. Hi, yes. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, Ijaz Ali, your Chief Information Security Officer. 
and um, I'll talk about uh, our security program uh, for uh, the last quarter of 2021. Um, next slide, please. Can you see it? Uh, I, I cannot. Oh. I just see the agenda. Oh, no. One second. I have that one. Says that it's going. But can you see it now? Uh, it's still the agenda. Um, I can I can share okay. my screen if you want. All right. Okay, I'll do it. Let me just. Here. Okay. Um, can everyone see my screen? Yes. Okay. The road to security. Yes, the road to security. Um, so this is where I like to I like to start just to um, go over what we've uh, done in the uh, the last quarter of 2021. So you'll actually I'll start a little bit before that. So the vulnerability management phase two that we started in June. Uh, was um, was actually put on hold. Uh, so that what it actually is is the uh, patch management for desktops. Now um, the reason why it was put on hold was because we didn't have enough um, licenses for Avanti, which is our patch management solution, in order to patch the uh, thousands of desktops that we have out there. So we put in a request uh, for this fiscal year um, or this next fiscal year to um, gain licenses for Avanti to do desktop patching. Now, the reason why it's purple and not red because phase two also includes um, server patching that's directed towards the server. So uh, phase one is when we uh, just started to catch up on server patching. Uh, so phase two of server patching is really focusing on the vulnerabilities on a particular server and to ensure that those patches are taken care of, which, which we are currently doing. Um, one of the biggest uh, accomplishments of the last quarter was our scene and data analytics phase two. Now, what we did in phase one was just send every single log that we could um, even if it didn't make any sense. So what we did with phase two is we actually took the logs that made sense and we were able to um, compile a story, right? So um, Ijaz Ali logs into um, this computer from this location, uses this browser and uh, goes to this website does this thing, logs into this application. So what we really want to do with phase two is to eliminate any ambiguity. So that way, if there's a security event or if there's a security incident, we're able to show proof that um, this actually happened. And so we, we, we accomplished that um, last month. 
And the physical walkthrough, which we started, was actually put on hold due to um, the Omicron variant, which we will uh, restart at the end of this month. All right, let me get to the next slide here. So looking at our security metrics, um, so the industry standard for security control and compliance is a 90 across the board. And this is uh, with antivirus installed, antivirus up-to-date, vulnerability scanning, and secure configuration. We're meeting industry standard on three of those four, the fourth one being secure configuration. Now, um, what are we doing to increase our secure configuration? Well, we're upgrading our Windows 7 machines to Windows, uh, Windows 10. And currently that's slated to be completed uh, June 30th of this year. Um, and by doing that, we're adding encryption to workstations because currently our Windows 7 uh, devices, physical devices are not encrypted. Uh, with uh, the movement to Windows 10, they will be encrypted with Microsoft BitLocker. And new assets need security approval uh, before being deployed. So when a new server gets popped up or when a new uh, desktop um, comes up, they, we put crash strike on them and then we do a vulnerability scan to ensure that there, uh, that there are no vulnerabilities when they're, when they're released. And what we need to do is to turn off copy and paste from Citrix desktop to host and vice versa. So what this means is if you're on an unmanaged device like a personal laptop, and if you log on to uh, AHS virtual desktop, you can actually copy and paste um, from the desktop to the host and vice versa from the host to the desktop. Um, this. Uh, by turning that off, it will um, isolate the Citrix desktop. So if there is um, malware on your personal laptop, it won't be able to get onto the Citrix desktop. And the last thing is to enforce encryption on removable media. Um, that is slated to be done in uh, June of this year. Now, uh, in terms of vulnerability management metrics, um, so currently we're about, we have about 2 million vulnerabilities. Uh, when, we, when we started the vulnerability management program, we had about 5 million. So we're, we're down uh, roughly about 60%. Um, compared to the last quarter, um, where we actually down 24,000. And the reason why uh, the minimal uh, amount that we're down is because the majority of our vulnerabilities are on desktops, um, which I alluded to earlier, we're not patching due to not having the license to patch. Uh, in terms of our email metrics, uh, our 6,000 users across the board get about 500,000 good emails. So these are emails that go to your inbox. Um, and about four times that is uh, our thread emails. These are emails that you don't see. So they're, um, they're blocked because they either have a phishing link, there's a virus, or there's malware attached to it. 
and then you have about a million which go to your spam box, which you can um, view and uh, release if it's not spam. And then this slide here is our incident response metrics. Um, so the 72 that you see here from October 1st to, to December 31st, these are uh, AHS user initiated uh, events. Uh, majority of these happened during uh, Thanksgiving and the Christmas holidays. So we um, contribute that to uh, users either doing some online shopping or um, bad actors uh, trying to play at the generous hearts of AHS employees. You know, they can make up like a fake charity and say like children in um, children in Afghanistan uh, aren't um, getting Christmas gifts, you know, please donate. And, and they ask you to put your bank information on there, you know, and, you know, people, it's, it's Christmas time, they're in a giving spirit. So these bad actors try to pray, um, pray on that. And then um, the threats blocked by security tools are, are actually bad actor initiated. So um, the yellow here actually did get cut off. So, so the yellow are password attacks. So um, password attacks increased in December, um, mainly from bad actors trying to um, monopolize uh, attacks before, before Christmas time. We had one crypto mining attack. So someone tried to use our resources to mine Bitcoin. And then uh, no uh, distributed denial of service attacks. And then uh, we, so we had no critical incidents and then the non-critical were the 72 user triggered um, malware events that were blocked by our endpoint detection and response tool CrowdStrike. Uh, are there any questions? No questions, all right, I will stop sharing. Thank you. Thank you very much. So. Yeah, take it away. Okay, so do you see my screen now? Looking good, professional fee audits. Okay, great. <laughs> so um, for those of you who do not know, um, what professional fee audits are. They are um, the services that are provided by our physicians and non-physician practitioners and who cannot bill. So when I talk about non-physician practitioners, I'm meaning uh, physician assistants and a nurse practitioners to name a few. So, There are four goals that we had within these audits and they all work together actually. So one is the quality of documentation. And so the documentation is important when there isn't enough details about the care. And so it's not just um, for the code um, that is submitted to the payer for reimbursement, but it's also about the um, patient care. Um, so that's, um, 
it's important that all the um, the details are um, there. Now the other part is the coding accuracy. So we um, want to get to a 95% accuracy rate. And so the, um, that accuracy rate is really based on you know, the documentation as well. And so um, when it comes to education, uh, education is really important. The more education that we provide, the higher the accuracy rate and the better the quality of the documentation. And then when you have revenue, um, it says revenue impact. When all these other parts come together, then you're gonna have less denials, um, less rebillings to the pair, and there will be uh, revenue opportunities as well. So next, I, I just wanted to go over this um, for a minute here. And this is evaluation and management services. So a big part of what um, our providers, I'm going to just say physicians provide is, uh, is what we call ENM and for short. Um, and so there are three components, which is history exam and medical decision making. So in 2021, the medical decision making uh, became the driver of the service. So the history and exam is now um, would be based on what is medically appropriate. So go to the next slide. So um, this is the accuracy rates by codes. And like I said, there's an ENM codes and this would be a bigger part of uh, what the services that are provided to um, patients. And so like it, it indicates here, <clears throat> uh, this is specific to the EDs. So as you see Highland and Sandy Leandro and Alameda, um, there are these services that majority of the our physicians would provide. And then there's the CPD codes and that stands for current procedural terminology. So these would be services that would be in addition to the ENM services that are provided. And then you have diagnoses. So if you see, there's quite a few of the diagnosis code because a patient could have multiple diagnoses. And so, like I said before, we want to get to a 95% accuracy rate. And, um, but keep in mind, this is by group and it's based also on the sample size. So that has to be taken in consideration. But I'll talk a little bit more about what we're gonna to do to get to this 95% um, accuracy rate. Is there any questions on the slide? Yeah, my question is how does this compare to the previous year? Okay, one, uh, we have not done this type of audits um, within the system. So that's why um, we wanted to have baseline. So we did this by groups. So then we know fairly quickly, what does it look like as far as the accuracy rate? And then in the next phase, we can prioritize. And um, based on the specialties, we know who we need to um, start first and then go through the line. 
Thank you. So this is um, another um, way to see the accuracy rate. And so this is what we call the variance. Um, and this is coding errors that affect uh, reimbursement. So this would be um, like the ENM because there are five levels. So it um, would mean that the documentation might have supported only at level you know, four instead of what was billed, which is a level five. And then there is educational recommendations. And these are coding errors that do not affect reimbursement. And these would be um, diagnoses. Um, so um, where it shows this category, and then there's query opportunities. And this is when um, there's documentation that supports a code, but the physician did not fill it. And so we would actually um, talk with the physicians about um, what needs to be documented or, um, or about the codes that they might've missed. And so if it's um, in the documentation, we would ask them to um, make an amendment to it. And then um, here we have you know, the facility um, accuracy rate based on the variances and with the number of sample size we have. So I just want to give you um, kind of a picture of the reimbursement, but this is based on relative value units. And so essentially this is what Medicare would um, reimburse for these different services. Now we have different payer mixes like um, Medi-Cal. And so Medi-Cal of course um, would reimburse less than uh, Medicare, but this gives you some kind of an idea of what um, this, you know, decrease in reimbursement compared to an increase in reimbursement. Kimmy, can I, this uh, bouquet, can I ask you a quick question, Ms. Rand? Sure. Can you walk us through the last three lines? I, you know, I like math and I'm having trouble reconciling the math here. Increase in reimbursement 59.55, decrease in reimbursement 181.72. So the delta between those actually is $122.17. So why does it say 72.93? Okay, so <clears throat> this, um, the increase is, um, let me try to explain. The, um, the increase is that when um, the documentation supported a, um, a coding, but, but the physician did not charge for it, right? Yeah. And then the decrease is- um, They overcoded. The, yeah, overcoded. Yeah. So the potential query change based on this too would be that if the um, physician actually amended the record, then you can, I don't know why this is minus, but it would potentially um, be 72 that you could um, actually change in the reimbursement. Yeah, I'm sorry, just that math doesn't make sense to me on the, just based on what's, and, and it's probably, I don't know the formula here because it just says the decrease in re reimbursement. So for lines two, San Leandro Hospital ED and Alameda Hospital ED, 
there's no change in reimbursement, yet there's a decrease for 30364. So I'm just a little confused by the numbers. Yeah, so let me get back to you because it's based on the actual um, detailed findings of it. Okay. okay. So, so being that this is emergency department, there were three um, findings or themes as you can call it. And so of course, a lack of documentation that didn't support the level of the ENM. And then there were the procedures, or actually, this is critical care. So critical care, um, this is easy to correct. And so the um, physicians actually, a couple of cases did not uh, put the time. And it's a time-driven uh, service. Uh, so you know, this is one of the findings, and we already uh, spoke to the medical records regarding um, these components. And so they are aware now about, okay, you need the time. They also asked about the templates that we have in Epic, and it is there, they want to use it. But this is something that's pretty easy um, just to put the time on the documentation so that it will meet the criteria because it's the first 32, 72, um, 74 minutes. And then uh, you can um, every 30 minutes after that. And then the laceration repair was another area. And in one case, the, the documentation indicated complex laceration repair, but we need more information <laughs> regarding laceration repair. Um, and it has to do with the complexity of the documentation um, and also the, the length um, in centimeters and the, the depth of the, um, the dermal layers. So I, I wanted to show this, and this is um, when we talk about total revenue impacted, it's actually um, doesn't mean that this is what we are refunding. Uh, we, what we did is that based on the same time period for this, um, that we pulled the report, we actually went back to the report and we looked at the number of encounters for these areas. And so like if we take simple laceration, there's 840. And so the total bill charges. Now, when we talk about RVUs, um, this is actually, it says average. And the reason why this is average RVU and not the, the specific RVU is because there are uh, several different codes that represent uh, simple lacerations and it will be the same for intermediate and complex. Because one of the things that represents the um, simple is of course the how many centimeters in length and the depth of the um, the wound. And so this is what would be the average reimbursement for simple, which is $73.64. And so if we were to calculate that out, then it would come to 49201 And the, the part that I want to state here is that when it comes to simple laceration repair, sometimes a physician doesn't know that you can actually bill for that because it could be very small 
and they would think, oh, it's included in the ENM because there are some uh, procedures that are part of the ENM service, but laceration is is different. And then also the another area that the um, the medical directors were not aware is that um, when it comes to debridement. So if there's a long um, time to um, use like um, saline to really clean out the wound, you can actually bill that in addition. So this is where we've also seen um, in other practices as we've been going through the, uh, these audits that these um, procedures were not always captured. And then um, like here, I wanted to show the critical care because actually, you know, for even the first um, hour, the reimbursement average or the actual reimbursement, this is Medicare, it would be $239.53. So it is quite a lot more than um, if you use level five of it, regular straight, ENM for ED services, because I think it's about, I want to say 160. Um, I'm not sure at the actual number, but this is a big difference in dollars. And then the other part that the physicians were not aware of is that even though this is you know up to 74 minutes, each of 30 minutes can be added. And it doesn't include, um, excuse me, it includes uh, not just at the, the patient bedside, but it can be at the nursing station where they are reviewing uh, test results or they're consulting with another specialist that can be included as part of this um, critical care time. And so they were not aware that all these other um, services they provide for the patient can be added to this. Um, but the, the, the parts to this is that you need to be um, immediately available to the patient. So if you're away from the patient, not in the room, and the patient has to be on the, um, happens to be on the third floor, you need to be on the third floor. You cannot be on the second floor or the fourth floor, but that's not immediately available to the patient. So this is a learning that was for the um, physicians. And so we are actually following up. And this comes where um, additional audit and education um, would be provided. So are there questions about this? Yeah. Hey, Kami, this Bouquet again, a couple of questions. How many, how many coders are, are there within the organization and are any coders service-based? Okay. I would have to get back to you because that's under um, the manager of um, professional decoding, which is Jennifer Willis. And I don't know how many um, coders she had, but they're all remote. And yeah. so we do not have any on-site um, coders. And for these audits that we are doing system-wide, we use an outside service. And so um, they do all the audits um, for this, um, these audits that we were doing. Um, Got it. Uh, and I guess my next comment for, for, the, for, for the audience is, uh, you know, I can't remember, I haven't looked at this in a while, 
I think there's something like 16 to 18,000 different CPT codes. Um, yeah. And I'll say that CPT coding is not something which is taught in, in residency training, medical school and the like. So this is its own, if you will, knowledge set and art form. And uh, it's actually quite difficult stuff to think. You think it's a simple laceration, but it's a laceration two centimeters long, four millimeters wide uh, with, with bleeding. That, that will be very different from what, one which is four centimeters wide, one and a half millimeters deep with no bleeding. So th these are all very difficult things. And, and, and uh, I think the opportunity, uh, and this is great, you're making a potential return on investment uh, discussion here, just at critical care alone, there's $191,000. That might be two coders, you know, and uh, just wondering where we look uh, for, to, to get fidelity. And then the real-time turnaround to the doctors. You can't tell a doctor four months later that your code from that patient, you know, 300 patients ago was wrong. And you're like, oh, I can't remember that patient. So I think there's some opportunity here. Mm -hmm. um, I would agree. And and I'll talk a little bit more about that um, uh, more in detail, but essentially this is an ongoing audit and education. And so we are creating um, what I call robust audit and education program. And uh, so this can be ongoing because like I said, we want to get to a 95% accuracy rate. And this will um, ensure that we capture all the codes for the, um, for the revenue. And then, like I said, it also will decrease the denials um, when, you know, they, um, let's say, for example, we have a, a multiple consultants for different specialties, and they're all sending out the same, um, what's it, CPT codes. Um, but it's also what the um, peers look at um, in those uh, cases is the diagnosis. So the primary di uh, diagnosis compared to the second diagnosis is really important in those cases. Because if everybody uses the same diagnosis, then their peers think, oh, then you'll all provide the same service. And so there's, you know, really, um, this comes where education. And uh, um, so the education uh, will be um, in the next phase, um, drilled down by providers so they can be targeted education to each provider. And so um, that will be a conversation between the provider as far as, okay, let's look at the documentation together and to um, talk about uh, what is um, needed. And then we also, um, there'll be other types of education, like uh, it could be in the group. Uh, we'll also, we'll eventually have what I call a coding um, helpline. So when there's, um, when a physician not sure about what is needed to use that code or whether they can use a code in addition to the service, um, they can ask us. So are there any other questions about um, this slide? Um, hi, good afternoon, Akimi, this is Jet. Mm -hmm. um, just one question, uh, what does RVU stand for? I'm new to this, so. It um, stands for Relative Value Unit. So this 140, for example, 
Um, it has a conversion factor, so to speak, that um, will come to a dollar amount. And so this dollar amount is what Medicare would um, reimburse. Now, I'm talking about Medicare, but this is kind of um, what I call a standard that's used um, other, well, me too, we use RVUs as to know what we can expect in reimbursement. And you can um, take that dollar amount and um, use percent to calculate what you would expect if you um, have a population of Medi-Cal and other payers. Does that make sense? Yes, it does, thank you. Trustee Chapman, the RVU strives, and I'm gonna say strives, to quantify the complexity of care amongst different codes and levels. It's, it's certainly an imperfect system, but it's sort of the, the best one we got. Okay, thank you. Okay. So the next slide, here's the next steps. And like I said, um, we are going to, um, being that we started this, we're gonna have uh, this audit and compliance, uh, audit and coding, excuse me, a program. And so this will be a very close um, partnership with the medical directors, the chair, uh, the physician chairs, for these different specialties. Uh, because when we do ongoing audits, we're going to provide um, the regular uh, summaries of the accuracy rates and then work together on strategies as far as um, you know, the training or the education uh, regarding the documentation, um, about the coding, and it, you know, it's worked together as far as the, um, the education, because it's not just audits and education. Um, it might be that physician, um, medical director might have other um, ideas of what they like to see as far as um, what are the next steps. So there are somewhat individual um, strategies that we can do based on, on specialties. Ms. Ren, can you comment on the opportunity of the, the, the billing engines within Epic uh, to sort of automate some of these processes? Again, yes. to, re to reiterate for the crowd, you know, almost 18,000 different CPT codes. I'm looking at the 2022 revision. For 2022, the CPT code set had 249 new codes, 63 deletions, and 93 revisions. So <laughs> for any single individual to try to, to, to keep up to date on this uh, set who's, uh, who's not, who, who is trying to do other things, this becomes a Herculean task. So, mm -hmm. so the mismatch between coding compliance and this, 95% is gonna be hard, Ms. Wren. Right, so um, in the Epic system, we, um, there are various templates and we, um, for even the ED, um, they ask about the templates, um, templates um, that are available. Um, and so they requested certain templates that would help them. And we did review what's in the EPIC system. And there's, there's many templates for that matter. 
but uh, we um, actually did um, find the one for a laceration care and for critical care. And we made sure that it was available to each ED physician because we noticed not everybody had access to some of those templates. The other is um, because of different payer rules, we can set, um, I don't know what to call it, but you can program um, to um, change based on a router. Um, so for example, um, Medi-Cal would use a different code, uh, other payers might. So you can actually um, change CP codes to other codes and then um, modifiers, for example. You know, it's not easy to always remember the modifiers. So we can um, make sure that based on the pairs, that this is the modifiers that should go on. And, um, you know, even for teaching services. So there is ways that we can actually utilize Epic even better as we go through this process. And it's, um, we've done that for other areas where we have had a group um, meeting as to how we can um, kind of enhance what we do. Um, and there's always an Epic person that's on these calls so we can um, look at what is possible. So any, any other questions? Okay. Um, it, so, I oh. can be, if you don't mind, just really quick. Uh, mm -hmm. Chair Friedman, uh, I think we'll, we'll be able to give the board some time back here this uh, evening. Uh, there was a bit of an oversight with respect to what you all got on your agenda and what was on the public facing agenda in terms of closed session. We had an information item that we wanted to update you all on it. The public session agenda does not have that. I'll send an email out to you and provide you that information over email under attorney client privilege. All right. So does that mean we can't have the closed session? That's correct. Okay, thank you. Please go ahead. Ms. Ren, Thank, thanks, uh, Ahmad. Okay, so <clears throat> this is a different type of review that was done. And this is the Medicare secondary payer questionnaire. And so like says um, Medicare as a secondary payer. So it's not always that Medicare is the primary. So they do have a questionnaire that they're expect um, that is given to the patient um, to determine whether they're going to be um, primary or secondary. So an example would be like um, a person who's on active, um, uh, active military um, status, they would have TRICARE. And so TRICARE would be the primary and Medicare would be the secondary. So that's just one example. So the, um, there was a section that was incomplete and of course the big um, portion was the patient was unavailable. And it could be that uh, you know, patient was, went for a test. And so when they came into the room, they were not able to ask these questions. 
Um, but even though afterwards um, the patient was even discharged, um, the um, registration or the billing would contact the patient to obtain the information. And they also um, can contact the, um, the payer to, to, um, to determine um, who would be the primary and secondary. But then the billing group also knows the rules too about Medicare as being secondary. So when we did a follow-up to um, review if there were any denials, there was none. And then they um, also checked to make sure that there was no mismatch, that everything matched up um, as far as ensuring that they had it correct that Medicare was secondary. So there was no um, uh, was it action that was need to be taken um, in this um, review. Is there any questions on this? Okay. So there was another uh, review that was done, and this is the um, certification for ACLS and DLS. And so we, um, we took a fairly small sample, but um, as you see, the, um, the end where it says renewed late. And so this um, apparently when we did this review, um, management, the nurse management, and even the, uh, the nurses that um, had late renewals, they said, well, it was very confusing because I already submitted it, but yet, um, you know, they, meaning HR, um, did not have it. And so they um, actually made sure that uh, notification um, to the managers were included uh, because sometimes this renew late was a person that might've been on leave of absence. And also they amended the submission process because there was, I thought I already submitted it and I kept getting um, these kind of emails. And so some of the times the employees, because they get so many emails, they're just like, oh, they don't even bother to, um, to review. And then there's um, more follow-up now um, to ensure that there are um, no uh, late renewals. Is there any questions on this? Okay. So um, these are some of the projects that we're working on. So um, those of you that do not know 340B program, it's essentially, in a nutshell, um, five manufacturers um, agree to uh, provide um, drugs um, for outpatient services at a um, discount rate, and it's pretty discounted rate. And that um, savings can go to patients that um, have low income or they're not covered by any insurance. So we um, just recently had a HERSHA um, audit, and this is the federal side. And so we are uh, waiting for the results um, of uh, what their findings are and any follow-up that we um, might need 
um, required to do. And then there's the state, the DHCS. And this has been going on for a while because there's a back and forth asking for more um, data. So we're hoping though these two um, will be completed um, soon. And then we have the Leadership Academy. So you've heard of Leadership Academy. Um, you know, AHS uh, has um, this academy that they provide to uh, management. And so compliance is part of this, um, what we provide on the, uh, as far as privacy compliance. And when I talk about compliance, I'm talking about like conflict of interest, about anti-kickback, false claims act, um, those areas. And then we're working on what's called information blocking because there are many parts to this um, regulation. And like it states here, um, we cannot block patients' information. So we are working through all the different um, what's it, a documentation that needs to be provided to the patient, like the physician's notes, the nurse's notes, the, the uh, test results, and um, going through what we need to set up for through the Epic My Chart. And then the other is the law enforcement incident reporting. So there is a portal um, that was created where um, staff can um, go in and um, let us know about an incident that they had with the law enforcement. So it can be um, a result. Um, Sometimes it is with the law enforcement, but there is worker meetings um, with them as far as what has occurred. Is there any questions about some of these projects that we're working on? So I want to talk about um, activities that we're, we're doing. And this is just to show um, kind of in a pie form the different areas that we, um, we do for the, um, the AHS workforce. And I didn't want to have a bunch of different areas just kind of a snapshot of some of the areas that we, um, we work on on a regular basis. So like service requests, <clears throat> these, we get a, um, quite a few um, requests for guidance. And sometimes it might be a, a group um, meeting to discuss you know, the, what are gonna be the next steps, how we're gonna resolve issues, what do we need to do? Um, and it's also committees too, um, where you know, compliance um, provides their, um, their input, their opinions. And then you see here the 20% is audits and we do quite a few audits. And, but um, we're hoping that this 5% education um, is increased as we move forward. Um, and then we have compliance. And the reason why I, I indicated um, investigation, privacy, revenue cycle, and IRB, because those are uh, 
focus areas that we, um, within the department, we want to see our time that we spend on these areas. Um, so when we take the total, it's 85%. And this is what we are able to, um, to give to AHS. So any questions uh, regarding this? Okay. We're in the home stretch now. <laughs> yeah, we are. We're moving on. <laughs> you're, doing a, you're doing a great job. It's all very clear. Thank you. Okay. So the last one is our strategic initiatives. And so the first one is the coding audit and education program. Like I mentioned before, regarding the um, professional fee audits. So, you know, like I mentioned, it's you know, we want to lower the denial rates, the impact from reimbursement. We also want to target education to improve, you know, efficiencies and maximize revenue. And we want to be able to um, provide a, um, high touch relationships and custom uh, tailored solutions for providers and staff. And so, like I said, it's a close partnership as we do these audits and, you know, education, and what we can do to um, better um, help uh, these specialties to, like I said, get to a 95% uh, accuracy rate. Um, and then these two underneath is that there, CMS has um, different data that can be used to assess our audit risks. And so there, um, there's benchmark um, that uh, we can use because CMS has this data. And then also um, they have what's called CERT, which is comprehensive error, taste, uh, error rate testing. And that actually indicates um, uh, about like what's in our findings, lack of documentation or missing documentation about whether, um, what is the error rates by uh, different codes and by specialties. Um, the next one is the IRB man, uh, manager implementation. So we've been working on this for um, some time. And what it is, is it's a um, software platform that actually will improve our process for the entire life cycle of the research. And so um, we're hoping that we can um, uh, implement it by the second quarter of 2023, uh, because it also entails um, working with contracts for funded studies. Uh, the next one is force, um, workforce education. And so um, we all do annual competencies, which is tends to be pretty long, but we um, want to do other education um, during the other times. And the, you know, the attention span for some of these, um, these type of educations uh, is what I consider too long. So the max of these uh, education would be uh, uh, 15 minutes and they'll be focused on certain areas. <clears throat> so it, um, we are going to use a PBSA cycle as to you know, plan it out and you know, test it and so on. 
The next one is the healthcare compliance certification. So right now in our department, there's only two people that are certified and you know what I am one of them, but we want everybody in the team to, um, to obtain the certification. And it helps with their um, broad-based uh, knowledge. Um, so they can, you know, perform their uh, functions um, because, you know, there's always new regulations, there are updates or revisions to new rules. And so, you know, this is an area that they can learn and they have to meet um, continue education units. So that's how they can also um, know what um, new um, regulations that come up, uh, what other um, organizations in healthcare have done to, um, to meet certain rules. Um, the next one is the compliance uh, champion program. So this is actually a big endeavor. Um, and this, um, this will help to expand our reach. Um, compliance presence um, and to serve as a, a point of contact throughout the system. Um, and, but it's going to require a lot of training and um, it's percentage of the person's time. So um, it has to be a non-exempt um, employee or excuse me, it's a, I'm exempt, so it's exempt employee. So they cannot be part of a union or such. And, um, and so we would um, ask for nominations in these um, different facilities. And we would uh, go to like the CAOs and other um, level management uh, regarding um, who would be potential uh, person to be a compliance uh, champion. Um, but it um, requires that there is regular um, group meetings to go over, um, you know, what's uh, what the education that might be needed or um, additional training that we um, could provide to a, um, a facility or to a group. And we would also... Um, Hello? There's Hi, sorry. My, my other meeting is about to start. Okay. Can you hear me? So I'm going to yeah, have to leave. I can, I'm going to turn, turn it over to Trustee Splendorio to take <laughs> over for the last few minutes, if, if you're willing to do that, Splend. Absolutely, Mark. You have fun. Thank, thank you, Kimmy. Thank you so much. Okay, well, I appreciate you. it. We're, we're almost done. So the... Um, you know, when I talk about this, it, it requires, you know, commitment from our executive leadership because, you know, um, part of being successful in this uh, program um, really requires um, everybody's commitment. And this other um, compliance uh, departments have done this, um, but not everyone because it, it does take a lot of effort to um, keep this program going so it can be successful. 
But does anybody have questions about any of these areas? Okay. <laughs> well, this is, um, appreciate everybody's time. And I think we are ahead of schedule because it's supposed to go for to 530. Um, but if you have any, um, any additional questions, please uh, let Rano or me um, know, and I will be happy to uh, give you those answers. Or if you want to have a chat, please uh, feel free to reach out. Well, thank you, Akemi. You know, this is a very, you know, it, it's an absolutely necessary function of the organization, and it's, and, it, and honestly, it it is difficult to, to swallow at one time. <laughs> and we appre and appreciate all the work you do and the effort you put into your presentation, and um, but I, I I suspect that a lot of it is just um, wow, this is over my head and it's hard, and so thank you for what you do, uh, but. For, but let's make sure, Rana, Ahmed, if, are there any members of the public that have any questions, comments, anybody raise their hand? Let's make sure we. No one has reached out to me. Okay, great. Okay, well then then, then let's move on to item um, uh, C, uh, uh, annual audit and compliance committee agenda calendar and follow up. Uh, well, we of this. So um, those areas are normally what um, is provided and we do not um, actually talk about them. Um, but I could bring up the calendar because this is um, actually what is given uh, annually. So let me just see whether I can bring that up. And let me stop sharing this. Okay. Hmm. Can you see this, um, the calendar? Yeah, I mean, we have it in our report too, by the way. I, I know for mm -hmm. the public, but it, you might wanna make it a little bit, the spreadsheet a little bit larger. Okay. Fill up your screen. So let's see. So can you see it now? Oh yeah, we can see it before. Just die. So, um, of course, the ones in blue is to, um, like it says, um, board retreat, full board meeting, and of course the board retreat. So we only indicate the dates based on that. Uh, when are the audit and compliance committee, and what would generally be um, presented at those meetings, um, and so. This calendar is actually um, provided um, just in um, each time that we meet. So there's some reference. Um, so is there any questions to that? Okay. 
And I'm going to stop sharing for a second. So the um, visual tracking. Kimmy, do you have any comments on the compliance dashboard, which is the next uh, slide in our staff report? Let's see. Actually, that's number three, but um, let me just read that. So can you see it? Yep. Okay. So this is our tracking uh, based on what we receive mostly through the hotline, but sometimes we receive it through LIDAS or the person might um, contact us directly or through our, well, we have a um, department uh, email address, which is compliance AHS. And so, uh, we use um, what we call Lighthouse, and it is a, a tracking of all issues that come to um, our department. And it's a way that we can ensure that um, any follow that was put in, we can put attachments in there, um, and then we need to have an outcome before we close the case. So. Um, as you see, the blue side is HR, which is you know, right now is the biggest part. And we do have an investigator that is going to start um, having regular meetings because um, we used to have um, ongoing meetings um, with HR to go over the cases and how, you know, what's the status? Is there something that we can do in order to bring, um, close these cases? And then, of course, the other is privacy. So we um, do receive, you know, um, potential issues, I like to say, because they're not always privacy breaches, but we have to um, put all of these issues in our tracker. So we're not dropping any um, areas where you know, people are expecting um, an answer as to how it was resolved. And then, um, you know, fraud, well, <clears throat> it doesn't mean that actual fraud is potential. So these are what is indicated as, as far as what um, is selected in our uh, tracking. So in the second quarter, you see that there's um, 93 um, new um, cases that came in and that we were able to close in that period, and then the pending solutions. And, you know, um, the reason why we're not able to close them as quickly as we would like to is because one, it does involve other um, stakeholders as well. It's not just compliance. And, and when it comes to um, allegations, it requires um, working with HR to you know, to, um, I want to investigate, meaning talk with the um, employee um, to uh, confirm the allegations, for example. And if it's um, 
a person that's in as part of the union. Um, there's wine garden and so on. So it's not just a simple step to go through because even when privacy, we have to confirm whether it's a true um, privacy. And a lot of them are not um, what we um, confirm as privacy breaches. Um, so uh, there is one that I should um, talk about and it was the EDD, which is um, the workers' comp claims. So somehow there, um, the uh, workers' comp, you know, the teams that work on that um, received um, uh, what do you call uh, fraudulent cases. So somehow there are certain employees who never filed a uh, workers' comp actually um, work, uh, RAHS um, received that the person filed the claim. So um, the, our team from the HR did contact um, the EDD because they do have a fraud um, kind of line when it's not a true um, workers' comp. And then we also notified um, each of the employees because they can, um, these uh, actors, can actually uh, get information, uh, personal information. So um, those employees, even one of our employees in our department, um, they need to um, uh, go through and contact like the Social Security Administration, um, use uh, what's called, a, um, uh, what is, uh, can't think of what is the one like, uh, the way that they can put a um, uh, kind of a Experian um, that can lock your credit. Um, so we gave them a list of what they can do um, to uh, help to stop um, any what's it, um, further um, what's it, breaches on their personal information. So any questions to that? I don't. You're, you're talking about credit reporting agencies, right? Yeah. Yeah. Transwestern. There's there's a few of them. Yeah, I can't think of the names right now, but there's like three of them. So yeah. we gave them the list. Okay. Uh, any questions? Any board questions? Any anybody out there? Any questions? Rana, any any members of the public? Nope, I don't have anybody. All right, thank you. Okay, so uh, Kimmy, is that the completion no. of your your board? There's, there's one last thing. One last thing, okay. Okay, so let me just uh, bring it up. Um, so it sells in the packet, and it's um, what we call um, a um, this trustee's issue tracking. And it doesn't mean there's really an issue all the time, but we track any questions that um, would need follow-up. And the last time I believe um, Alan Fox um, asked about list of insurance coverages and Ahmad, you might've already um, provided this. And um, so if it's 
if you're still working on it, this is something that uh, this committee has requested. Uh, thank you, Kevin. Yeah, we pulled that from the agenda because uh, it was already it was asked and answered. We provided okay. this at a prior board meeting. Right. Then I will put that as that it's um, completed. Excellent job. Completed. All right, Kemi, anything else no, share with us today? Not for me. Um, but does anybody have a question before we end? Okay, well, you know how to reach me, so I'm always available. And, you know, thank you again for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you for all your dedication and effort there. Okay, so, um, so I believe we're at the end of our regular agenda. And if I recall, Ahmad, we do not have a closed session or, or we do have something to talk about. We do not have a closed session. Okay. Uh, if there isn't any further business before this committee, and I'm hearing, not hearing anything, we are adjourned. Thanks everybody. Thank you. Take care.